Welcome everyone, it's that special time of the week again. It's time for another installment of Cape TV. As always, I'm your TV watching host, and joining me is my also TV watching co-host, Matt. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing good. I, I watch a little bit of TV here and there, you know. You know, on top of the metric, you know, ass load of comics and everything else that we gotta do. Yeah, yeah. Try and play some games from time to time, you know, if we can. Yeah. Yeah, every now and then. Probably going to be playing that Andromeda when that comes out this week. I couldn't believe that that was coming out this month. I'm like, really? Yeah, I'm probably not going to be getting it for a while. Yeah, you were, uh, you, you and everyone else talking about the facial animation problems. Yeah, and the gameplay apparently isn't too good, so oh. there's stuff they need to fix. But I love Mass Effect so much, I even like Mass Effect 3. <laughs> I don't care about the ending, I like the journey there, man. <laughs> but we're not here talking about Mass Effect. Although, really, why isn't there a Mass Effect series? Why haven't they tried to make that into a TV show? I know they had a couple animated movies here and there. Yeah, it's, it seems like something that would actually do really well in, like, an episodic format. Uh -huh, it's such a big universe. Rebels, that stuff. Let's see what was going on while Commander Shepard was doing something. Let's forget the Normandy for a second. Let's follow the Schmormandy and all those aboard that <laughs> ship and all the adventures they got into fighting the Reapers that you never saw. <laughs> It'll be great. It can be a choose-your-own-adventure show. People can text in on what sort of uh, what sort of choices the characters in the show should make. <laughs> like, they'll stop and be like, if you want the commander to go through the right door, text this number. If you want him to go through the left door, <laughs> make it just like American Idol. You'll clean up on text. It'll be great. Baker. But believe it or not here, we're not uh, going to talk about that. We're going to be talking about instead... All the superhero comic book and geek shows that came out this week, and there was a fair amount. There was no Supergirl this week, right, Matt? No, it's on break. Right, but it will be back next week because next week is the Flash Supergirl musical crossover, if I'm not mistaken. Well, the thing is, they, they, they're doing that actually really weirdly. They're doing it only as a Flash crossover. There's no Supergirl crossover episode. Oh. At the end of this week's episode, they just go to... Earth One or whatever the Earth flashes on. Interesting. That's like that's like the only connection. So they it's build, really weird. So they build it as a crossover, but it's not really a crossover. It's just a special Flash episode with a cameo from Supergirl. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, so with all that being said, this week's episode of The Flash was Season 3, Episode 16, Into the Speed Force. Although you easily could have called this episode Speed Force 2, Electric Speed Force Alu, because that's basically what it was. Remember remember the Runaway Dinosaur, that other Speed Force episode we did? Well, we're basically doing it again here, but with a twist. Yeah, it was pretty much all that. They go in after uh, Kid Flash, who got stuck in there thanks to Savitar. And his own stupidity, let's not forget that. Wally, <laughs> yeah. Wally was really dumb in the previous episode and basically uh, responded to, what is it, uh, to suggestion, but also just like Savitar being like, bet you can't do this, and Wally being like, I bet I can. <laughs> Apparently that's all you need to do to defeat Kid Flash, you just need to use reverse psychology on him. <laughs> <laughs> fine then don't thwart my plans fine then i won't yeah oh 
God, I, I hate Kid Flash in this show so much. He's such an idiot. He, he has his moments, and he was on my good side for so long, but just after one arc, boom, he's back on my bad side. <laughs> and he'll probably keep continuing like that as well. Like, he'll do something really good, and ah, he's pretty cool, and then just something completely stupid. That's a, that's a real shame. Now, as we mentioned before, this is Return to the Speed Force, and if you remember the rules of the Speed Force, apparently the Speed Force is a big fan of that movie Contact, because when the Speed Force <laughs> talks to Barry, it does so by taking the form of people he knows. Yeah, like Eddie Thorne. Yes, who I cannot believe it took them this long to bring Eddie Thorne back into the show. I did. I, I, I legit thought they were going to bring him back sooner, whether as a speedster or just like mm. have him come. Like, I'm surprised we didn't see like an Earth... 16 or something eddie thorn before this me too i really thought they were going to do an alternate earth eddie or something it's interesting that the only time we see him as like uh, a speed force hallucination is that actor busy is that actor doing stuff is that why <laughs> i i honestly have no idea because like here's the thing i know we probably never got to talk about it on this show because it was season one i actually quite enjoyed eddie as a character and an actor i thought there was a lot more they could have done with him yeah, yeah, he had a really cool arc, and, and he was actually pretty interesting. He did, because in any other show, he would have just been the dickbag boyfriend, who you're like, ooh, I hate him, ooh, I hope Barry wins. But no, the thing about Eddie is that he was good, and considerate, and nice, and he helped out, and he was good at his job, and you're like, oh, well, I guess I can't hate you, can I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was very, very compelling, but yes, so the thing about the Speed Force this time is that the Speed Force is very crossed at Barry because he broke the rules, he's been messing with time, he's been abusing his powers, and so to kind of punish him, they're taking the form of, you know, people who he's failed in one way or another, and that's why they show up as Eddie, and then later we get to see Robbie, of all people, too, which again, another actor where it's like, oh yeah, remember him, everybody? Yeah, yeah, remember when he was Firestorm for, like, two minutes? <laughs> for, like, two minutes, which, you know, it's it's hilarious to think that they tried so hard to make him Firestorm, he had such an arc, then they had to try so hard to write him out and write Jax in, which I don't know if people remember this, but the first episode with Jax, where he becomes Firestorm, that was a really good episode. It was. That, that was the one where they had, like, they were, like, testing out the other people as well, yes. weren't they? Yes. Yeah. That was a really good episode, and they fight in a football stadium, and I'm like, god damn, this might be one of the best stories they've ever told about Firestorm in anything ever. <laughs> but yeah, back to Into the Speed Force. Man, we keep getting sidetracked on this episode. It's like this episode was kind of meandering or something. It's almost like it was a clip show of better stuff. It, I mean, that's kind of the thing about it. Where it's like, hey, let's reuse a bunch of sets, let's bring back a bunch of actors, and let's kind of do, like, the Christmas Carol thing, where it's like, oh, these are the lives they could have had, Barry, but no, you had to be a dick about it. <laughs> and I mean, that's really the moral of the episode. The Speed Force kind of browbeats Barry into being like, hey, stop being a dick, pay attention to your friends. Only you can save uh, Iris. Stop trying to pawn it off on Wally. Yeah, yeah. To where it's like, but he was doing faster, though. He was doing better. <laughs> but apparently, no. Apparently, the Speed Force says no to that. Ooh, another cool thing is that one of the challenges Barry has to overcome whilst in the Speed Force is he has to fight it out with the Black Flash and the Time Wraiths. 
Yeah, that was actually really cool. That was the high point of the episode. For, well, actually, no, that was that was one of the high points of the episode. I, I really enjoyed that because I'm like, man, it's hard to believe that when we saw the Black Flash for the first time, it was on an episode of Legends. And I'm like, wow, I really hope they don't blow their wad on this character here. I hope we actually do get to see him in Flash, and we did. Yeah, that was that was really cool. The only thing I didn't like is that it's like this, it's like a speed force wraith, and it gets like stopped by like elevator doors yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> An unstoppable eldritch force of speed death, but gets stopped by doors and elevators. <laughs> uh, apparently, you're not that great. Also, shouldn't you be chasing Thawne? I will talk about Thawne later. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so that was pretty much the bulk of the episode, Barry having to learn a lesson about his behavior and trying to save Wally. And in the end, though, the real MVP turned out to be Jay Garrick back again. Yeah, John Wesley's ship comes back, and God, I don't good. know about... He is good, but I don't, I don't know about you, but like it just felt like he was sleepwalking through this this particular dialogue and role in this episode. It's well, cause it's all stuff he's done before. Hey Barry, I'm your father without really being your father. I believe in you. Good things. Apple pies, America. <laughs> and also too, maybe he was a little bummed too, because they essentially write his character off in this episode. Yeah. I could eventually say, Oh yeah, I get another episode of the flash. We're going to come back and team up with, Oh, I'm stuck in the speed force in, now in TV writing terms. That's what's called being put on a bus. It's not the same as being, like, killed off or anything, but when they put you in a situation where you may or may not come back, that's called being put on a bus, and they really put Jay Garrick on a bus this episode. Yeah, yeah, or going into a coma or something. Yep, that's the thing. Maybe we'll bring you back, maybe we won't, we're not sure yet, but we need to ratchet up the tension. Yep. That's what it was. That was a tension ratcheting up moment. Also, hey, so here's another thing. So the third of the Ghosts of Speed Force pass that Barry runs into, this is, this is a bit of a nerdy continuity issue. He runs into Captain Cold, which honestly is awesome because I love seeing Wentworth Miller. I think his Captain Cold is great. I think it's sad that they turned him good too quickly. So it was yeah. nice to see him be an antagonist again, even if he was a ghost. But there's a bit of a continuity hiccup that kind of, you know, stuck in my craw and chat my ass, if you were. Did you pick it up, Matt? I'm sure you picked it up. Uh, what was it? It's when he says, you know, oh, Flash, you inspired me. That's why I sacrificed myself. No, not mm -hmm. really. <laughs> Also, Barry doesn't know that uh, Captain Cold did any of that. Yeah. So uh. why would he feel bad about it if he doesn't know? It's not like Heatwave or any of the legends told him what Captain Cold did. Furthermore, did we not see at the end of Legends Season 1 when they all came back to their own time, Captain Cold was fine? Yeah, he was, he was nothing wrong with him. Unless they came to a time before, but even still, that that seemed like another like miscommunication between show writers. Yep. Is what that seemed like. But was there anything else in this episode? I think there was like a B-plot of Jesse Quick um, getting really mad at uh, HR because he was like, you know, basically acting like her father and she didn't like that. Yeah, she like wanted to fight Savitar and, right. and ki kind of did, but like didn't. Right, that's right, and we find out that Savitar has kind of been lying and that he's not the Hindu god he makes himself out to be because, you know, he got stabbed. And as we all know from watching Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, if it bleeds, we can kill it. 
<laughs> I I imagine that that's going to turn out to be a character we know. I imagine it's probably going to be someone like Eddie Thorne or something. That would be interesting. Furthermore, I'm sure you picked this up in the previous issue, but when he was knocking around the flashes, I, I meant to mention this in the previous episode. He says at least twice in that episode, you can't beat me. I'm the future apostrophe flash. Yeah. Which makes me think, oh, is he is he evil Barry? Is that where they're going with this? Because he's like, I, I didn't need to be created. I created myself. I'm like, oh, is this one of those time loop things where Iris dying makes Barry go to the dark side so he becomes Savitar and starts screwing with time and doing all the stuff the Speed Force told him not to do? <laughs> is this one of those self-fulfilling prophecy things? Yeah, yeah. I hope it's not that, because if you remember, even back during the reverse Flash in Season 1, that was one of the popular fan theories of, oh, what if it's just an evil Flash from the future come back to test Barry? What if it's this? What if it's that? Because it's like the Zoom twist from Season 2 already kind of felt like a retread. I really don't want them to do like a fan theory twist. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. But I can see them doing that as well because, look, it's different. It's not like the other two seasons. I would have been happy if he just was a Hindu god. This, See, this is the problem with the success of season one. They thought that season one was so successful because there was a twist and a mystery to it. You don't need a twist and a mystery every season. Yeah. Well, aren't they like in the next season, they, they said that it's not going to be a speedster villain or they anything? They put their foot down and said that. Well, I, I I have yet to be convinced that they will do. Because here's the thing: the show the show was doing fine in the first half when you just had Doctor yeah. Alchemy. I would have been fine with a season long run of him being the villain, and even Savitar was fine too. But now they're like, oh, he's not what he seems. I'm like, well, what was wrong with being a Hindu god of motion? That's plenty <laughs> of good stuff. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. He's fine. Don't mess with it. He sounds like Tobin Bell. That's amazing. <laughs> the the other big takeaway from this episode is I guess we saw the quote unquote end of the Jesse Wally love arc, and I say love in big finger quotes because I'm like I don't understand why you two like each other. Yep, there's mm -hmm. really not too much reason for you two to like each other, but I do respect at least Jesse being like, oh well, I gotta go and defend Jay Garrick's world now. They need a speedster. I need to be that person. Yeah, that much I at least like. That was fine. Yeah. Overall, into the Speed Force, there was a lot of cool moments, but there was a lot of annoying about it, too. Yeah, it was kind of that middle ground. Yeah, I mean, again, it feels like we're doing that thing again, where it's like, why does Barry need to learn the same lessons every season? Yeah, it, exactly. It's it's just a rehash of the, the previous two seasons. Like, I enjoy it, I like it, what's good about Flash remains to be good, but at the same time, it's like, okay, grow in a different direction, please, overcome a different problem. Yeah, please do something new. Yeah, I, I can only watch Barry learn to not be selfish and trust his team so much, especially because in the last episode, we did a retread of the, hey, you shouldn't lie to your team, you should be 100% Oprah honest all the time. <laughs> That, uh, that that was a little bugging. But yeah, I mean, the next episode will be something different because as we said, they're doing the whole music meister thing. So that should probably be a fun little offbeat episode. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, that looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. Now from Flash to Legends, we had season two, episode 14, Moonshot. Now that's what I call a moonshot, Matt. 
Yeah, the, this episode probably had one of the best parts in yes, the, in did. the whole two seasons. Are we are we thinking of the same one? I think we are. When Doctor Stein just out of nowhere starts singing "Tolly Me Banana" as a distraction. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it comes out of fucking nowhere, and the dude actually has a very nice voice, the actor, and it's kind of amazing. It's so good. The show guys knew it was good because they play it again over the credits. <laughs> yes, yes. They knew what they had. That was yeah. I agree. I'm like, you know what, Legends? More of this. More just spontaneous weirdness. Yeah, it, that that was great. That was so good. It's like that. This is where the show should live. Like Flash is the consistent one. Arrow is the dark, brooding one. Supergirl, you know, does like a bunch of Golden Age cool stuff and everything. Legend should just be the weird one. <laughs> Legend should do stuff like that every episode. But yeah, so the episode is called Moonshot, and that is because to get the final piece of the Sphere of Destiny, they need to go back and find uh, Haywood the Senior, the last member of the Justice Society, because as we found out, he actually got involved with NASA and hid his piece of the Sphere on the moon. Yeah, of all places. <laughs> Which, hey, in his defense, that's a pretty damn solid place to hide it. It is, it is. Even those supervillains, they can't get it. Reverse Flash is damn near godlike in his powers, but even he can't get to space without a ship. Yeah, he has to get get aboard um, the spaceship they launch up to the moon. Yeah, Apollo 13, which in this new altered timeline goes off without a hitch. Yep. <laughs> well, I mean, not without a hitch. A lot of bad shit happens, but mostly without a hitch. Yeah, and that's all because of... Ray getting yes. aboard the ship. <laughs> Ray, who this is really a focus episode for Ray. This is an episode where he does, you know, pretty much all the heavy lifting in it, where he gets into a knife fight with Reverse Flash in space, and his super awesome Adam suit gets pierced with just a regular knife. Yeah, of all things. That is, goddamn it! Like seriously, what did you build your suit out of? Graham crackers and bubble gum? That's exactly what he did. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, he, they gotta go to space, they do all the stuff on the moon and everything, and you know, they play all the classic bits and they do all the space movie stuff, Houston, we have a problem, and you know, they t they tackle all that stuff. Yeah. They hit all the marks there. Uh, Fawn actually got quite a bit to do this episode, and if I was to be really positive and give the most credit, I like the characterization they gave Reverse Flash this time around. Yeah, I, the the one thing I I wish they did more on was the whole Ray, uh, Flash sort of thing in this. I wish the whole episode was just them stuck in the Apollo lander yeah, like trying to fix it to get off. L yeah, like Moon. Their scenes together reminded me a lot of Moon, actually, ironically. Yeah, yeah. This this episode remembers. Oh yeah, Ray's a scientist, and oh yeah, Reverse Flash is a scientist too. I bet they'd have a lot in common, wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. And indeed they do, and in fact they write themselves a pretty good way out of explaining why Reverse Flash just doesn't kill them all, and that is, oh, well, he's in space. No spa or Space means no gravity. Gravity means he can't run. Yeah, he can't use his powers. Can't use his powers, and I'm trying to think to myself, I'm like, is that a thing? Is that a thing from the comics? Can Flash not run in space? And I'm like, no, I guess I can't think of any instance where the Flash couldn't run in space, or at least if he was, it was places with artificial gravity. Yeah, I was thinking that like, could he, could he not just like vibrate? That's you know, like, that's could a, he, could, 
Could he vibrate? Like, use that vibrating hand he loves so much? You know, we're going to have to take that to the comment section. Okay, comment section, you know, uh, young astronomers and young, you know, uh, technicians and everything out there who maybe study this stuff in school, maybe study physics. Tell us about this. Could one theoretically vibrate one's molecules in space where no gravity exists? <laughs> I'm sure they will give us a lot of interesting comebacks to that. Yeah. So yeah, they got to get back to Earth and everything, and they do a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, Rip, who has now officially rejoined the team after having his mind rewritten back to the good side, I was at first really annoyed with him because I'm like, oh god, here we have Rip again. You know, he's going to do all the same crap he always did that annoyed me. But to the show's credit, they actually do something quite clever, and that is every time Rip is about to take charge... Someone else does what he was going to do anyway, and arguably better. And I'm like, oh, good. The show realizes they don't need Rip anymore. The the best thing about that is he, he seems to be getting a little bit uptight about that as well. Yes. Like, like not being the quote-unquote captain of the ship. It's now um, White Canary, yeah. and he's kind of kind of pissed at that a little bit. Yeah, nobody needs me. And I'm like, no, it's true. Nobody does need you anymore. Everything your character did has been taken over by other characters. Now you are the odd man out. Yep. Which makes me think, do you think they're going to kill him at the end of this season? Because if they could sacrifice anybody, they could sacrifice him. Well, yeah, he's kind of useless. So. He is. And, and we don't have the Time Masters anymore, so we don't really have or need any connection to that. So I could see them writing him out some way. Or... Or if they get the Spear of Destiny, I could see them being like, oh, hey, we rewrote time and space. Now Rip can live happily with his family. He gets his happy ending and we continue doing what we're doing. There you go. There you go. I'll put that money on the table. That'll be a nice happy ending for him. Although, honestly, I didn't care about his character enough to think he needed a happy ending. So there you go. <laughs> So that's that's Moonshot. Oh, I guess, too, we should also talk about the Haywood stuff. So we get to see, like, the whole Haywood family saga of Citizen Steel being like, oh, well, you know, we got this time machine, so surely we can take my grandpa back so he can raise my dad so he won't be such a shit and all of a happier life. And I'm like, has no one explained to this guy that apparently that's <laughs> against the rules of the legends changing time for your own personal benefit, even though literally everyone tries to do it on this show? That was written entire motivation for season one yeah every character has done that in one episode or another or every at least character tried to and they browbeat him being like oh, oh, oh that's a bad you can't do that i'm gonna remember that now so if in any of the upcoming episodes any of the team members try to do that we have we have proof more proof that they are hypocrites. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, well, see, that that's the thing. Even Rip isn't the ultimate hypocrite anymore. <laughs> They've taken that job from him, too, because that was always Rip's thing. Oh, you can't manipulate time for personal benefit. Isn't that the whole reason you're here? Yes, but I'm captain. <laughs> I'm flying the ship, so it's fine. And you knew the second they told him that, you knew Haywood wasn't long for this world. And indeed, he wasn't. But he got one of those cool guy sacrifice moments. Yeah, he got sucked out of Wave Rider. <laughs> he got sucked out, and there you go. But it's a very comic booky, quote unquote, death where it's like, did he die? Didn't he? I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of left ambiguous. It's very vague and vague in a good way. Also, too, we saw a little bit more movement from Vixen's character. She finally realizes, oh, yeah, don't I belong to a time and place? And, oh, yeah, aren't I going to be important because my granddaughter needs to go on to do stuff? And she also apparently breaks what is a cardinal rule, and that is checking out your own future. Yeah, she looks in on the current Vixen. Mm -hmm. It's real bad. 
<laughs> it's real bad, her future. Everything that happens, it's real bad. <laughs> and I wonder, will the show be smart enough to pull the whole, well, if you know your future, even just knowing it causes it to change? Yep. Which I hope they should. It's funny, when she was looking through the computer and seeing all the pictures of the vixen that showed up on Arrow, I thought, wouldn't it be funny if she sees, like, pictures of the cartoon and being like, oh, so in the future my life will be a cartoon? <laughs> that would have been funny. But just but just a 22-minute cartoon that they cut into five-minute chunks? That's terrible. Why would you do <laughs> You're just that? like, what the, f what the fuck? <laughs> the future is awful. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> bad. <laughs> But yeah, that was Moonshot, and while it's definitely filled with a ton of annoying Legends-isms, I would still kind of put it above a lot of the other episodes. It's definitely better than the previous week's episode. Yeah, it was fun. It didn't take itself really too seriously That's or anything. That's what was best about it. That's really yeah. what was best about it, is that it didn't take itself too seriously. In fact, I had so much fun with it, I didn't even think of the obvious. Uh, why didn't you send Firestorm up in the ship? He can fly, and he doesn't have to breathe in space. Well, if we did that, we wouldn't get Stein doing his song. We wouldn't get Tally Me Banana, and I mean, really, is that a world any of us want to live in? Nah. <laughs> nah, nah, it's not. So, moving on from Legends, we're still sticking with the space theme, because we're talking about Star Wars Rebels Season 3, Episode 12, Twin Sons. This was the big one, Matt. It's, it, it, we've been waiting for this for how long? Since 1999, so like pretty much 17 20 years sort of thing the rematch 17 years in the making yeah it's been it's been a long time i feel like this one needed like a big fight like a big boxing match thing where it's like no the rematch 17 years in the making fighting out a tatooine it's the old man with the beard it's obi-wan kenobi and in the <laughs> red corner it's the red man with the horns the nasty zabrak bastard it's darth maul <laughs> then they both come out to their theme music and they're wearing robes and everything <laughs> What's, a, what's great about this episode is that they really did hold up, like, the gravity of the situation. You see Maul wandering around Tatooine, and we have no idea how long he's been wandering out in the desert. That's why I wish we, we got a little bit more of that. That's the, my only complaint about the episode. We got a little bit more of that that says, like, he's been wandering around since we last saw him in, like, what, episode three yeah, that's what i assume that's i assumed he's just been wandering out there that long <laughs> yeah so like months he's been losing his mind and then you're like huh i guess tatooine was a pretty good place for kenobi to hide huh it's a big place with a lot of desert yep yep and maul's eventually like you know what screw this shit i can't find kenobi for our rematch but you know what i bet if i manipulate that dumb ezra kid i bet he'll find him for me <laughs> and ezra takes the bait he really does like i love ezra but man does he have a problem with running off to play the hero but you know what that was the point of this episode and kenobi even says that to him that's your fatal flaw you want so hard to do the right thing to be a hero you just you know you can't see what's right in front of you yeah yeah and i was really worried about this episode too because i know you and i have talked about this before one of the best things about rebels is that it ultimately stays so clear from the continuity of the movies while also connecting itself really well and giving so many references i'm like i don't know man going to tatooine that could be a shark jump moment if they do it wrong oh yeah they i i watched the um the rebels recon that's on after these episodes mm. and they they said they went through like 
so many different scripts just to get it right. Because this is the one they had to get the most right. Yeah. And you know what? I'm glad to say I think they did get it just perfect. For one, it's only Ezra and Chopper that go to Tatooine. That's good. Mm -hmm. It's only Ezra who gets to talk to Obi-Wan, and he only talks to him for a few minutes, and they don't get a chance to really talk about anything too important, which is also good because, you know, if Kanan had come and Kanan had met Kenobi, that would have opened up a bunch of problems because they're like, okay, no, but seriously, though, we're going to have to have some serious Jedi talks now. Yeah, well, the writer said, like, in early scripts, Kanan was the one who went to um, Tatooine. Interesting. Very interesting. Huh. I wonder what that one would have been like. Yeah. See, that opens up too many questions because, like... Kanan knows too much and would ask too many questions that they really shouldn't know the answers to. Mm -hmm. And that's a big, big issue, which I really enjoyed. And I'm sure some people would complain, too, when we finally do get the Obi-Wan-Darth Maul fight. I'm sure some people would complain, like, oh, that was too short. No, it was just as long as it needed to be. Yeah. Oh, perfect. They're both old. They're both broken down. They both just want it to be over is what they want it to be. And what was really great is um, it was kind of like a samurai fight. Yes, which it is, was. They're, they're, they're over really quickly yes. when you know what you're doing. So and, and what was great, and they actually confirmed it in the Rebels Recon, was Maul actually tried the same move he used to kill Qui-Gon on Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan knew he was going to do that, so that's how he was able to cut through the blade. Yeah, because it's like, these are two guys who have been fighting each other for so long. I would, I said this is the rematch, but counting all the fights they had in Clone Wars, this is like the fourth or fifth rematch. <laughs> <laughs> like, they fought a lot, but this was like the final one. And I like, by the end, too, they add even more characterization to Maul, because Maul figures it out. Where he's like, oh, you're here watching over something important. No, someone important. Is is he the one? Is he the one from prophecy? I, I love that, like, after, like, almost 30 years in, in universe of animosity, both of them put aside their differences and realize that their common ground was that both of them have lost everything to the Sith. Yeah, to the Empire. Well, Maul even said it early on, and even at the end of Clone Wars, like, I hate Sidious, I hate Maul, they took everything from me, they took my brother, they took my life, and everything. Yeah. They, they even refused to recognize me as a master, even though I am a master. Mm-hmm, yep. And he's like, he will avenge us, right? It's kind of a beautiful moment, isn't it? I, kinda, I even paused the episode, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, Luke will avenge them all, won't he, in the end? <laughs> That's really well done. And even then, we catch a little glimpse of Luke, and they play the theme from A New Hope, and we get Baru with the one line she has in A New Hope there at the opening. Luke, Luke, come in for dinner, Luke. Oh, that was great. Wonderfully done, beautifully subtle, and also, Obi-Wan rides a do-back. Yeah, yeah. I never knew I wanted that until I got it. He rides the hell out of that do-back. <laughs> also sand people we get some tuscan raiders up in here doing their tuscan raider stuff yeah doing their their raiding yeah <laughs> oh, the sand people scare easy but they'll be back and in greater numbers <laughs> also good job on the actors for this because there was a different actor doing the hollow message i think it was the actor from clone wars but they got mm -hmm. a different actor to play old kenobi yeah, Stephen Stanton, he's a, he does a perfect Alec Guinness he impersonation. He does a really, really good Guinness. Like he's, like, he's laying into the words and doing all of these things that you're supposed to do. Yeah. 
was really well done. So yeah, I mean, Twin Suns, really kick-ass episode. I- ironically, to kind of compare it to Flash, Ezra also has a whole arc about learning a lesson he should already know by now, and that is, hey, don't take your friends and extended family for granted. Stop running off on your own. <laughs> And, you know, that's kind of where they need him because the next two episodes are going to be, I think, the two-part finale. It's the Assault on Lothal. Yep, coming up uh, this this weekend, actually. They they actually do have the big two-part, I think it's like an hour episode. Nice. I love that Rebels does that instead of being like, look, we could space these two-parters out, but no, we're going to play them back-to-back like movies. Yeah. And it's like, man, this this could have been the last word on Rebels, this and the Lothal thing, but we know they're coming back for a fourth season. Yeah, but it's going to be interesting, that fourth season. Yeah, because it's like you're you're getting incredibly close to A New Hope. Yeah, I think with see- this coming up season, I think they're like a year away from the events of Rogue One, Wow, I think. Yeah, they're getting, yeah. like, incredibly close. But, hey, you know what? That's cool, too, because that means we could probably see more crossover between Rogue One and Rebels. Well, I I know I'm pretty sure, like, Dave Filoni or, like, someone in there has said that, like, there's a possibility. They don't think it's it's going to happen exactly the same way, but there's a possibility that we might actually get to see the Battle of Scarif from the Ooh. Ghost's perspective. Oh, man, that would be so sick. Hey, we know Ursa was running around and she was in a bunch of different rebel cells and doing stuff. Wouldn't it be interesting if the rebels met her for an episode? That'd be pretty cool. They easily could. There's quite a few people they could run into and you wouldn't be stepping on any continuity toes. I mean, geez, if they've met Leia, if they've met Ma Mothel, if they've met uh, all these other characters, I don't see why they can't meet a couple Rogue One characters. I mean, they already met Saw Gerrera, so there you go. Yeah, just just as long as it's not like one of those like here's this character from the thing. Oop-a-doo. Yeah, Absolutely. do it do it smart. Yeah, like do a smart episode, and they've been so smart with all of them so far. I don't see why they wouldn't. I definitely could see Forrest Whitaker coming back again. I wouldn't be shocked if in Rebels we see the accident that turns him into the weird cyborg. I I imagine we probably will. Because think about it, and I know I pitched this in a previous, uh, I think last week, but I'll pitch it again. Now that we're seeing the birth of the Rebel Alliance, we're seeing all these different Rebel factions who have worked independently from each other working together now. It would be cool to see Saw's group and everyone be like, oh no, they're they're too hardcore and raw even for us. Yeah, yeah. They, they like kill and torture and they don't care about collateral damage and everything. We, we gotta distance ourselves from them. Mm-hmm. Actually, that would be some stuff to actually see Saw and Jin Ursa together, like from their time when they're actually hanging out together. That'd be pretty cool. Dude, dude, F- Filoni, that's an episode right there, man. We just pitched you a hell of an episode. <laughs> actually, this is funny, too, because you got me following the head writer of Rebels now, and apparently he was on vacation, and everyone kept writing him about bathrooms in Star Wars, because Wedge was talking about the refresher, and everyone's like, have they called it a refresher anywhere else, or are you just making stuff up? Yeah. No, 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 that's like a, that's like an old expanded universe thing. I guess for a lot of younger fans, and myself included, who doesn't know all that much about expanded universe, that was the first time a lot of people had ever heard a bathroom in Star Wars referred to <laughs> as a refresher. <laughs> so, although I guess that makes really good sense, does it? Because when you go to the bathroom, what are you doing? It's refreshing if you do it right. <laughs> Sometimes it's painful, depending if you've eaten Chipotle. But you know that's a, that's a conversation for another day. But dumb tish. 
<laughs> but hey, believe it or not, we're not done yet. We still got two more shows to talk about. As I mentioned in the previous episode, Matt and I are going to talk about Samurai Jack. The second episode aired this week. We both got a chance to see episode one. But also, we're going to give our initial thoughts on Iron Fist. That's initial. How far are you in Iron Fist, Matt? I'm finished. Ah, oh, fucking course you are. <laughs> you all, he, always, he, he, he always does this to me, people. I have only gotten a chance to watch the first five episodes. Yeah, I know. I only had a chance to watch five hours of television. Fuck my life, right? <laughs> but I figured that was enough to give an initial kind of overview of our thoughts and feelings and because i get the feeling you know maybe the rest of you out there haven't had a chance to watch all of it but we'll save that for the very end starting off we will talk about uh samurai jack season five episode one and a little of episode two because i got a chance to watch the second one before we started but matt didn't yeah so jack's back he is and it is a whopping 50 years into the future yeah, and it shows. Oh, yes, yes, it has. Jack cannot age anymore. I like they, they've kind of taken out the old expository opening with Aku, and now it's a new expository opening with Jack talking about how royally screwed the future is. Yeah, it's so screwed that he actually rides around on a massive, sick motorbike. Yes. Use, uses guns. And every other sort of weapon under the sun, and the reason for that is he's lost his magic sword. We don't know how, but he doesn't have it anymore. Yeah, we kind of get a flash of him losing it in like a ravine sort of thing. And he has gone full-on Old Man Logan, full-on Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> and you know, that's a really fitting sentiment, because if you know Samurai Jack, it was heavily inspired by Frank Miller's Ronin. Frank Miller wrote Dark Knight Returns, so there you go. We're doing the Dark Jack Returns, basically. Yeah, the Dark Ronin Returns. Yeah, and you know, that's also fitting, too, because here's the thing. Aku has gotten so bored with the lack of Jack and, like, 50 years of their stalemate, he's seemingly just gone away. Yeah, he's, like, just... He's taking a vacation. He's so bored, he's in a catatonic state, which is very much like what happened with the Joker in Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> but even though he's gone, Aku's evil is still very much a problem because you have this cult of Aku that is worshipping him and trying to, you know, get him back involved in the world. Yeah, they're uh, training his quote-unquote daughters. Yeah, we get a graphic birth scene, probably the most graphic scene of birth I've ever seen in a cartoon. Yep. <laughs> it's it's some serious shit, and you know, the yeah, the daughters of Aku, who, in a nice touch, and I wonder if you picked this up, Matt, their training in this first episode back really mirrors Jack's intense training as a kid mm -hmm. from the very first episode. Yeah, I wonder if there's like... There's like a twist there or something. Mm. Well, here's the thing, too. It's 50 years, and we see these kids being trained all the way through episode one, and they go from, like, you know, age one to age 20. So you figure even more time has got to have passed, even just in the first episode. Yeah, yeah. So, like, time is crazy in here, but, oh, but wait, there's a thing. Even though most of the daughters of Aku are pretty cruel and pretty evil, one of them isn't. Yeah, one of them is actually not 
evil at all, really. <laughs> yeah, one wants a life outside, one actually tries to help, and I'm thinking to myself, hmm, is this gonna be, is this gonna be Jack's Carrie Kelly? Is this gonna be, like, his new apprentice? Is this the one that kind of gets him off his ass? Or even possibly, is this the one to defeat Aku? Wouldn't it be interesting if Jack has to pass the sword to someone else to actually defeat Aku? That'd be pretty cool. It would be interesting. It would fit very much with the material where it's like, you know, it's not my war anymore. I need to give it to someone else while I go back to the past. Yeah, and since since obviously there's been like 50 years and he's been wandering around doing all sorts of shit, he's kind of gone a little bit loopy. Yes, he has gone completely insane. He is being tortured by the ghosts of his family, by the ghosts of everyone else, basically saying, hey, you you failed. You had a job to do and you didn't do it. Yeah, and he, he's been told that he like left his family behind mm-hmm. in feudal Japan and everything when he got sent to the future and, and he never came back and everything. And as a failed samurai, and they even touch on that a little bit in episode two, where it's like, hey, you know what failed samurais do, right? (laughs) They kill themselves honorably, but oh wait, you don't even have a sword to kill yourself honorably. (laughs) You're just failing all over the damn place. It's cool because he doesn't have his sword anymore, he has to pick up all these other tools like Matt said. So he's got a gun and a bow staff and all this other stuff, and he even picks up a new weapon like a tuning fork blade off an assassin that he beats. Yeah, when he kills the boss, he gets their weapon. Very Mega Man. I hope they keep doing that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a big fan when shows do that. Oh, man, I loved the assassin guy this episode. Scaramouche was his name. Yeah, he's, he's like a scat man sort of thing. Yeah, he's like this weird scat man, big Hollywood, like, hey, 33 Skadoo, how you doing, Jack? I'm Aku's favorite assassin, which, if you watch a lot of Samurai Jack, there's like several assassins who say they're Aku's favorite assassin. <laughs> <laughs> which makes me think, A, either they're all lying, or B, and more likely, Jack keeps killing all the favorite assassins. <laughs> so that's why there's always a new one. And this guy was really cool. This guy had a lot of power. <laughs> yeah, he, he was actually really uh, OP. Yeah, he could control rock monsters. He could, like, use that t- tuning fork blade, which, man, that's a powerful weapon. You can see why Jack's like, yoink, mine now. Yep. <laughs> he was he was really tough. And uh, and evil, too. I like, once again, this show definitely grew up with the audience. Scaramouche was like, oh, I had to massacre a whole village just to get your attention. Yeah, that that's pretty brutal. Yeah, they're they are pulling no punches. They know they also pull no punches in the second episode because in the second episode we see Jack kill his first human. Ooh, because he's fighting those daughters of Aku, and he gets a blade across one of their necks, and he is shocked and appalled to see blood come out instead of oil. Because huh. you figure, yeah, yeah. Like, I suppose he's used to fighting like robots and whatnot. Yeah, he even says to his own weird delusions, "I'm not worried. They're just robots. I'm not worried. They're just robots. They're nuts and bolts. They're never a problem for me. I always overcome it." So when he sees he killed someone, let alone a young woman, he's like, "Oh my god, what have I done?" <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really it's really something, especially you know, like if what Gendy is saying is right. Like if you loved Samurai Jack and you grew up with that show. And you're probably an adult now. It's going to hit you pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's also a great scene where he's trying to hide in a crypt from these, like, seven daughters of Aku. And, oh, my God, this music they play. 
this piece of score, because again, classic Samurai Jack, very little dialogue, very heavy on action and atmosphere. It's like something out of an old Western. It's like something out of a Marconi Western. It is so well done. I want that music to be my ringtone now. (laughs) That's how good it was. So yeah, Jack is back, back in a big way. If you've been waiting, if you haven't been sure, yeah, it's good. Go watch it. Yeah, it's pretty damn good. It's tight. It's tight stuff, especially like if you're an art student right now, man, the stuff they do with color and motion and like elemental effects. Wow. Yeah, there's some good stuff in those episodes. Like I'm not an art major, but even I'm just like, wow, this is pretty impressive. Yeah. It's a moving painting. You know why Samurai Jack does that, right? It's because it's a board-driven series is what it is. Usually in other cartoons, writers write, then board artists kind of board it out. Here in Samurai Jack, the board artists are the writers. Yeah, it's, it's sort of Getty Tartakovsky. He's like an artist as well and yep. everything. So, yeah. Which So basically when they plot out the show, they sit down and draw it, and that's what the show becomes. And that's also why there's so little dialogue. Because the animation is telling the story. Yeah. Which is freaking bold to do a show where there's so many long stretches of silence. Yep. Like, you couldn't pitch Samurai Jack today, I don't think. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, heck, it's a miracle season five is even back now to finish it off. I know, right? And the way Tartakovsky says it's like, this was on the table for years. This was on the table for over a decade. Yeah, well, maybe they just wanted to get it right. Yeah, I hope. I So far, they're getting it super right. Now, moving on from Jack, but staying very much in the theme of, you know, the, the far orient and kung fu and martial arts and everything, we have Iron Fist, just episodes one to five we're going to talk about now. I know it's a big binge-watching show, so everyone's at different points, but, you know, I think, I think for five episodes you get a pretty good feel of the show. And, I mean, even before Iron Fist started... There was a lot of stuff going into this. In fact, I think in terms of just sheer Rotten Tomatoes, not that any of that's important, but it was getting probably the most negative reception before the show actually came out over of any Marvel project in the MCU. Yeah, it, it was so strange. A lot of it was out of the show's control, and a lot of it was exasperated by a lot of the actors who what they should have said was nothing. Mm, they yeah. should have let the show speak for themselves, but you know, poor, poor Finn Jones, man, who's just like, look, I just, I just, they just hired me, man, I just work here. <laughs> yeah, I do feel really sorry for him. That guy, stepped es- in. especially when like his fellow actors, like there was an actor I told you about yeah. who came out about the show and wasn't happy about it. I'm like, Jesus. Yeah, he he, and then you know he made it worse. Just by talking, he shouldn't have said anything. You know, there was pictures of him like condescending to some Asian fans, and then he blamed he blamed Trump for the backlash of the show. Where I'm like, man, usually I'm first to agree with you, but I <laughs> even I can't back you on this, man. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just slowly backing out of the. I'm like Luis and Ant Man. You know, back it up, back it up, back it up. <laughs> but the show itself. Is fine so far. I like the first five episodes. I've I've enjoyed them. Yeah, it's. I know a lot of a lot of people. The big concerns I've seen is that they think it's slow, and somehow that's a problem. I, I would argue all the Marvel Netflix shows are slow to start. Well, that's the thing. Like especially like this one kind of needed to be because we we didn't have Danny Rand in New York when any of this stuff happened. So he had to 
kind of catch up on what was happening whereas we had like daredevil and we kind of knew who they all were and where they were and everything whereas danny he like the first thing we see of him he's actually coming into new york yeah yeah like we're literally with him every step of the way on that one which is an interesting choice the show makes quite a few interesting choices and how it chooses to you know kind of uh what does it present everything that's going on, even kind of what the show is about and what kind of theme and tone they go with. Because, you know, Daredevil, very much a noir. Jessica Jones, very much a noir. Even Luke Cage, very much a noir. Iron Fist, not so much, but that's a good thing because he never really was that noir in the comics. No, it's a, it's a lot more uh, lighthearted and everything. And, I, 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 like, compared to the other shows, a lot of it takes place during the day. Yes, yes, that's that's a big thing. Iron Fist, absolutely takes much more place during the day which you know is does a nice job kind of differentiating it from the nightlife of the marvel knights which i guess you can call them even though they're the defenders uh i mean there's a lot there's a lot to say here i'm trying to think of like what's the best way to tackle it uh jones definitely plays danny as a lot weirder than he is in the comics where like in the comics danny's a goof but like finn plays him a little bit more as a weirdo but then again it's also kind of a culture clash thing because he was raised in another culture even though he still feels incredibly yeah. white he, he does t- become a little bit goofy uh, i can't remember whether it's in the first five episodes where he actually comes back to the company oh the stickers under the desk that's my favorite part of the five episodes i've seen <laughs> uh, and there's that part where um he he goes into that meeting and it's like all awkward he's like dragging the chair along the that's ground and everything like that's kind of like awkward and everything that's danny danny in the office is very much the danny ran from the comics that's where i'll say they nailed it absolutely and furthermore where they nailed it his relationship with hogarth i don't know if people know this but hogarth was an iron fist character originally he was a short fat little nebbishy man obviously they changed it for the netflix show but their relationship is exactly the same where hogarth is like the guardian surrogate parent of danny that they get so well yeah j money yeah j money i even has a cute name for her aww and she doesn't take any of his shit (laughs) no no she doesn't which he didn't in the comics either Hogarth was always the guy who Danny's like, oh, I want to build a soup kitchen and I want to do this. Hogarth would be like, oh my God, you're killing me, Danny. You're just, you're just killing me over here, man. <laughs> he was the guy who had to follow him around and make it work. Uh, another credit where credit is due, a big chunk of the show is just Danny Rand trying to prove he is Danny Rand after being away for 15 years. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's like a big thing of the show. They've got to prove that it actually is Danny Rand and no one believes him. It's harder than you would think if you were homeschooled your whole life, never fingerprinted. I'm like, yeah, okay, I guess that would be an issue. Yeah, and it doesn't. it's not helped by um, Harold Meacham basically controlling everything. That too, that's true, yeah. Funny thing about Harold, I tweeted about this and I stand by it as I watch more of the show. Huh? Bad hair, faked his death, cruel to his son, loves his son's best friend. Dude, you're basically Norman Osborn in everything but name. <laughs> and in fact, his son takes a bunch of drugs too. I'm like, oh my god, he's Harry Osborn. <laughs> yeah, he, he, Ward kind of becomes like a drug addict. Yeah, it's it's very it's very funny. Oh, on the super drugs too. I love the super synthetic heroin that they have in the show. Yeah, it's too good, man. Which is sold by sexy flight attendants. <laughs> 
that I also thought was fun. Because they get this great scene where they come walking out on the stream like, who are these flight attendants? Oh, they're flight attendant drug dealers. <laughs> the, the 21st century drug dealers. No one ever sees it coming. They have a great pitch and a PowerPoint presentation on why you should buy the synthetic heroin. <laughs> they really did, though. They really did. They had all their bases covered. And if you buy today in a brand new growth industry, as you can see by my charts... <laughs> As you can see by the passed out meth addict on the floor. <laughs> this will get people super high. <laughs> As you can see, this is a white man with dread, so he knows good shit from bad shit. <laughs> uh, now, the, the fight scenes are interesting, too, because obviously, you know, Iron Fist, he's a kung fu artist. It's his thing. It's the thing that he is the best at. It's funny to compare that to Daredevil, because obviously Matt Murdock in that show... He knows some fair martial arts, too, because he was trained by, you know, Stick and the Chase and everything. He tries so hard in that show and is always overexerting himself super hard, even when he's just fighting regular thugs, even when he's not fighting, like, hand ninjas or anything. Danny here, his thing is that he looks like he's barely trying and that everything is so effortless to him. Yeah, he he, he kind of just, like, stands there as people try and have a hit at him, and he, he's dodging, doing his drunken kung fu. Yeah, which, I mean, I guess is truer to form for kung fu, or at least the movie kung fu that inspires so much of Iron Fist. It, it just seems kind of funny that that's kind of his thing, like, oh, I'm like water, man, I'm just moving, just, oh, just look at me, man, I'm barely even touching you, but I'm beating everybody. Yeah, and some of the fights I, I really liked, but some of the earlier ones are they're, they're kind of dodgy. They re they are. It's like they get kind of got better as time went on. Like uh, le like the Colleen Wing fights. Like here we haven't even talked about Wing yet. Big new character, daughter of the dragon, making her premiere in the show. She wears the white in one of her cage matches. Those fights are really good. Oh yeah, they they were really good. I feel I feel Colleen Wing might be right up there with Misty Knight from Luke Cage. I'm like, okay, but seriously, when are you gonna get a show now? Because you basically steal every <laughs> scene you're in. Well, there we go. We get a Misty and Colleen show called Daughters of the Dragon. Dude, that's the show. I for, I forget who the third one from Daughters of the Dragon are, but like that's that's a ready-made spinoff right now. Yeah, that's like ready-made. I'm like, yep, I'd watch it. Charlie's yeah. Angels for a modern, you know, uh, Netflix audience. Yeah. Yep. Oh, it was just those two. It was Colleen and Misty, and occasionally they'd have other people join them. But yeah, that's it. Rosario Dawson can join them. There you go. She's learning to fight. Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, she, she's in this. She's kind of like the glue that's like stuck this universe together, the, the Netflix uh, side of it anyway. And what I dig about uh, her character, the night nurse's kind of like characterization, at least in the first five episodes, again, I don't know where it goes, she's learning to fight because she's tired of being around all these superheroes and constantly needing to be saved. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. Uh, she, she wants to become better and kind of become a hero herself. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, good on you. I hope by the end of The Defender, she's set up the night hospital and been like, look, you know, all you street-level people, you're going to need a place to be patched up, so I've used, like, I don't know, some of Rand's money or something, and here you go, I've set up a place where you guys can come and get patched up. I wouldn't be surprised if they actually end up doing that at maybe the end of The Defenders, like, Rand uses his money to set up, like, a kind of like an Avengers uh, tower sort of thing for The Defenders. Mm. I guess he would be the Iron Man, wouldn't he? He'd be the guy funding everything. Yeah, and it's got, definitely going to be really interesting because he's he yeah he pretty much is the Iron Man. He's he's a billionaire, but he's working in the streets of you know Brooklyn and Red Hook and whatnot. I'm glad too because obviously you know coming into the show, 
the broadest strokes of the Iron Fist story and the broadest strokes of the Green Arrow story, which we've seen on Arrow, it would have been very easy for them to be derivative. I'm glad they chose to go other ways on it, where it's like, look, Danny's not a CEO. He's a majority shareholder, which means his job is very different. But also, he cares very much about, like, you know, humanitarian efforts and everything. And, you know, he's pushing, like, betterment for all mankind, which, you know, rubs the wrong way of the, ew, evil, we love money, money-grubbing people. Yeah, yeah. In in that show, and like when they're trying to sell that um right away, yeah. that pill, that pill, and they want to sell it for like was it like hundred dollars a pill or something? And he's like, no, sell it at cost, sell it five dollars a pill. Yeah, we gotta help people. I'm like, good. That is Comic Danny. That's what Comic Danny would do. And heck, at this point, Netflix Danny is being better than TV Arrow when it comes to this. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it, it really is, it, and it is. I can. It's very similar in that way as well. Like a billionaire who comes back to his company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sort of thing and yeah he, he already he's he's better it's like heck you're both blonde too how come that's never been a crossover <laughs> in all the dc marvel crossovers why don't danny and ollie hang out more <laughs> you think they'd have a lot in comp now let me ask you this because this is another thing that actually bugged me about the show in the first five episodes does joy ever get better because i really hate joy i i do as well she does get a little bit better um but yeah i I fucking hate her. I hate her and Ward. Though Ward gets kind of redeemed. Interesting. Because, you know, I I hate Joy because she's clearly set up to be, like, the love interest from childhood and everything. Mm -hmm. But not only is she evil, but she flip-flops in her evil. Where at first she's like, oh, this guy might be Danny. No, he's not. He's a crazy guy. Okay, I guess you're right, Ward. Oh, but he passed the M&M test. I guess we should help him. No, no, he might take control of the country. Yeah, you're right. Maybe we shouldn't. And she keeps doing that through the thing. She's like, well, maybe I'm good. Nah, I hate people with cancer. (laughs) And I'm like, I hate you, Joy. You are literally the worst. Yeah, she she gets pretty bad, but her and Ward by the end are kind of redeemed as well. Interesting. I like, too, in the first five episodes, Danny fights the Axe Gang from Kung Fu Hustle. Oh, that that's a good fight. Yeah, I like that fight. It's, it's in a hallway, which I know is a major complaint of like Daredevil, where it's like, oh, how many people is he gonna fight in a hallway this season? But no, this was this was a cool hotel hallway in the light. It was different. Yeah, and then in an elevator. That was that I really liked. I'm a big fan of like close quarters kung fu fights. Like if you ever watch the Raid Two, they do a lot of yeah. that in the Raid Two. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's the first five episodes of Iron Fist. I'm enjoying it. I'll admit there's a lot of really niggling problems and complaints that I hope work themselves out. A big one that got me is that n- neither Joy nor Ward asked the obvious question of Hey, where have you been and why are you back? And we're in this situation where it's like, okay, so we got a villain with mysterious motivations and goals, and we have a hero with equally mysterious motivations and goals. Well, I think they eventually, I, I'm just trying to remember what episode it is, but I'm pretty sure like he does kind of try to explain where he's been and everything, but they kind of brush it off like that's that's insane yeah because he, he does he doesn't sugarcoat it. He's like, oh, I've just been in Kunlun training with a bunch of monks, and then I fought a dragon. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I know they make a point of being like, oh, but well, Ward and Joy, you know, they're like psychotic children of a psychotic millionaire. They don't care. They only speak money. But it like comes to a point where it's like, yeah, but anyone would ask, though. Yeah, yeah. Like in the first two episodes, I'm amazed. It takes an episode and a half before the doctor asks the obvious question. And that is, you know, well, maybe ask him something only Danny knows. Like, I'm amazed it took them that long to be like, well, how would you just ask him something only Danny would know? I put that down because 
that hospital was being basically run by Harold, That's and he, he had all the all the doctors on his payroll and everything. And mm, I guess, I, I guess that just gets me. But yeah, overall, like what I've seen of Iron Fist, I would say probably by this time next week, I'll have had it all watched, and we can talk about it more in depth than we can do like the next half of episodes. Yeah. Also, also you, you people already got an extra long episode of Cape TV this week. Matt and I got to wrap this up because we got to go do our own show, The Comic Multiverse, which you can find over on the Cape Joel channel because we're doing two <laughs> shows in one night. We are. <laughs> Matt, Matt had a birthday Saturday, so happy birthday, Matt. And everyone in the comment section, be sure to wish Matt a happy birthday and send him some warm fuzzies. Well, it's not my birthday until Wednesday. Oh, well, then wait till Wednesday, everyone, and then do that. <laughs> you know the drill. And speaking of drills, it's that time where I wind down the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed. As always, be sure to let us know in the comments section down below what were some of your favorite shows from the week that were. What shows would you like to see us cover in the future? And, you know, basically just stuff like that. You can find my work over at Cape Jewel. You can find Matt over on Fortress of Solitude. You can listen to our other podcast, uh, The Comic Multiverse, over on SoundCloud. We're actually growing really fast over there, Matt. We got over 200 people now. Yeah, we're getting some pretty good stuff over there. We are. I'm trying hard to upload the backlog of episodes. Uh, I think I'm into, like, the teens now for episodes I gotta re-upload, and then when I'm done that, I'll do commentaries, and I'll also re-upload Cape TV. But if you want to download this episode for your listening pleasure, you can also go over to SoundCloud. That's where this show lives, and you can listen to this show over here and download it for yourself there, too. Yeah. So until next week, everyone, this has been Cape TV, and we will see you same Cape TV time, same Cape TV channel. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.